At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. It's a podcast where we look at educational, experimental, caught films, uh, interesting documentaries. Um, today we're well, uh, we're in a weird space. Today, my other podcast, we actually do sci-fi, but and we're doing sci-fi today. We're doing we're doing some Trek. We're doing an episode of uh, the Next Generation called uh, "Who Watches the Watchers." But our intention is a little more oral hygiene. We're going to. Uh, see where this takes us into things that, you know, reflect uh, our civilization and so forth. So for that, today we have a guest. Uh, he's the author of several books, including Ancient Gods, the Quantum Akashic Field, Supernatural Gods, Lost Civilizations. Hello, Jim Willis. Hello, Matt. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. You're, you're coming to me from my future, I guess. I'm yeah. on the other I'm on the other side of the world from you. <laughs> yeah, actually it's funny we did a we did a podcast about a week uh, two weeks ago and uh the guy was in Tasmania and it was wow. the first time we were in the past. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're always in the future. Well, let me let me know if anything happens during the broadcast that I should know about. <laughs> Look at that. No, okay. <laughs> but um yeah, I came to you, and I actually did mention Star Trek. So it's it's my own fault that we're already in the uh, sci-fi bubble here. But um, <laughs> you specifically brought up this one, which interestingly, I thought I'd seen every TNG. I'm not sure I'd actually watched this one before. Ah, uh, yeah. So it, well, yeah. Who watches the Watchers? It's a it's it's a a, a really interesting uh, plot, I think, because it uh, it goes along with one of the. Uh, veins of evidence that I follow in ancient gods about who the ancient gods might have been. Uh, in this particular one, the crew of the um, uh, the Enterprise has to, it's the next generation has to go down uh, and uh, rescue some people who were in a, a what what they call the um, oh what is it the the bird nest of the bird uh, the duck blind the duck blind that's what it is, and uh, because they're down there looking at ancient peoples and watching their development, and of course they get found out, and the uh, the ancient people discover that these uh, people had know so much more than they do, and they see them as gods, and it begins to spark a religion, and it just begs the question: Is this something that has happened uh, in our past as well? I think it was uh, yeah Arthur C. Clarke once said any sufficiently advanced technology will appear to be magic and it opens the whole idea the ancient gods who were they uh, one possibility is that perhaps they were beings uh, that were just technologically superior and these ancient stone age people uh, in world history saw them uh, as knowing so much more and it could have very possibly sparked a uh, religious experience, and over the years, as the as the um, uh, you know the idea grew about it, and 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 the oral history got bigger and bigger, they began to look at these people not just as advanced beings, but as gods, and we find this concept repeated all around the world in the Mayan, uh, the Popo Vuh and the Mayan uh, culture and the Hopi culture, uh, of course, in Samaria, Babylon, uh, 
uh, Egypt, of course. So it's it's an interesting concept. Yeah, and um, one thing that I always think about is just the idea in civilization now we're so much smarter than they used to be where um you know in this ancient culture a few of them are quite sharp i'm, I'm sitting here scanning for her name and i can't find it but the uh the lady at picard eventually does uh bring to the ship she's shocked it takes her a while yes. to get past it but she she's able to make the mental leap to understand what's actually yeah. happening yeah. where there's yeah. a i'm sure there's you know even members crew members servants of the enterprise who um maybe <laughs> wouldn't in the future or in this high technology uh, situation would not be able to make that mental leap. Um, well, yeah. And, and I, I wonder whether it's something that we've had to do in the past, uh, our own civilization, the, um, uh, the Mayans, for instance, have uh, mythologies about people who could sit in one place and look at a device they held in their hand and see what's happening on the other side of the world. Now, the Mayans talked about that before the Spaniards came, and we have their written records about it and their oral history. In other words, they have a mythology about people who are doing the very same thing that you and I are doing right now, talking on opposite sides of the world. Where did that come from? Uh, really interesting. Well, I, I think even though it was, I'm always reading five books at one time. So <laughs> just the idea, you know, the quantum idea that future events actually also influence the past events. Um, that's, that's another possibility too. Uh, and this, this is an idea that's been around for a long time. Um, uh, you know, the, the whole idea that uh, of the, what the Omega point, in other words, we are not evolving from something, but we are evolving toward something, something in the future is drawing us toward it. Uh, I'm amazed at the number of really bona fide scientists right now who are asking this, this same kind of questions. They're, they're asking things like, do we live in a simulation? For instance, uh, is this a big computer program that's so advanced that we don't even realize we're just pixels on a screen? And yet, uh, physics, the more that, uh, and, and biology, the more they take us apart and get down to anything, uh, we're, we're left not with, uh, with organs of the body or cells or even atoms. We're left with something sounds suspiciously like pixels. Could that be? Um, it's, just, it's just all up in the air right now. And I'm frankly amazed that in the last 10 years, uh, where this kind of thing used to be just scoffed at and met with uh, just ridicule in even scientific conventions. I'm amazed at the number of really reputable scientists that I'm talking to now that uh, have these same kinds of ideas. Yeah, I, I guess that's one of the uh, the draws to Star Trek. That's where you become a Trekkie because it's like they're especially old school Trek, I guess newer Trek, it's a little more dark, although it still has yeah. the, the basic soul, I think. But the idea that we're moving towards something yeah, better because yeah. um, star trek starts like mission impossible is uh you know our hero made a horrible mistake and now needs to spend the rest of the movie fixing it or yeah, you know, yeah that's that's yeah. the basic plot whereas trek is like hey we're good and we're exploring and we're finding a conflict there and we're trying to make that conflict into you know something better you know alchemize yeah, it so yeah. to speak yeah I, I i like gene roddenberry's hopefulness i really do when he had the whole idea that uh, somehow there was something better out ahead of us uh, and that keeps coming back over and over again. I really like that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, positive way to go about life. But uh, in ancient civilizations, we have to ask the questions, uh, um, are, are we the ones that uh, are looking back now at ancient civilizations? And um, are we the ones suffering from amnesia? 
Um, and that's frankly the one, the one problem uh, I have when I talk to people and study uh, about mythology is that people get so lost in the mythology of uh, the details of the mythology that they, they miss the overwrite overriding um, message of, of, of the myth. Uh, same thing with, with movies. People start talking about Star Trek movies and, and uh, people who aren't quite into it as much as I am, but they, they, they like to get so involved in, Oh, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And they miss, they miss the central premise uh, of what the whole thing is about. The details can really bog us down. And if we miss those details, we're, we're in trouble. Take, just take a classic example. Take uh, uh, the flood myths that are all over the world. Um, everybody gets, you know, from Noah's flood to the, the Babylonian uh, ideas uh, and uh, to the Hopi myths and the uh, myths of just, well, just about everywhere you go, there's, there's, there's flood mythology. And so people start talking about the details of the mythology. You know, where did the water come from? Uh, how could the boat fit that many animals? Uh, what about this? What about that? And in doing that, they miss what the flood stories are about. And because the stories, the details seem so, so fantastic, they dismiss them out of hand. And in doing that, we run into some real troubles. Um, just you know, give you an, an idea. People talk about it, the Atlantis myth all the time, the Atlantis tradition. Uh, when Plato uh, talked about it and the, and the Timaeus, you know, people wonder, well, where was Atlantis? How could it have disappeared? Uh, how could the people have had a civilization like that? And we don't know anything about it. But they, they missed the overriding thing. Plato said for many generations, uh, the people there obeyed the laws and loved the divine to which they were kin. They reckoned that qualities of character were far more important than their present prosperity. So they bore the burden of their wealth and possessions lightly and did not let their high standard of living intoxicate them or make them lose their self-control. But when the divine element in them became weakened, and their human traits became predominant, they ceased to be able to carry their prosperity with moderation. Man, if anything describes the modern world, isn't that it? And if we spend all of our time trying to figure out where Atlantis was and when it was, not, which is all fun, but if we miss the most important part of it, we're missing the fact that Plato wasn't just talking to his own generation. He was talking to us. These are situations that we really have to hear. So that's why I love to study these lost generations, these lost civilizations. I really do. I guess it's, you know, they say uh, you can't ex we still can't explain how a bumblebee flies, but that doesn't mean it can't sting you. <laughs> they still do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. It really is. It's been a while since I was stung. The last time was uh, about eight years ago, getting into the backseat of the car because I didn't have my Japanese license yet, leaning back and oh, right in the back. Oh, <laughs> for, for, me, it, for me, it was two days ago. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> Um, just I'm looking over my notes here. One interesting thing is a kind of reused with some notable changes, which I'd also like to consider. They this they use the same setup from the show again in the uh, movie 
insurrection, sort of like there's an mm-hmm. anthropological group of people looking at a pre-warp society and uh, something horrible happens and they, they figure yeah. out they're there. In the case of insurrection, of course, it's very different, though, because this is a group of very highly technological people that have decided to go back. And- that's right. They chose. They chose. And, you know, that's that's not that uh, crazy an idea. We have evidence of American Indian, uh, Western American Indian tribes that actually experimented with agric- agriculture and lived with it for a while and didn't like it. And they chose to go back to the old uh, hunter-gatherer following their fee- following the, um, the the herds kind of thing. Uh, it's a decision you can make. Quite frankly, I think it's a decision that we as a human race are going to have to make pretty quick. Because if we don't, we're really in trouble. Uh, we're, we're playing with toys that we just, we just can't handle. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly worried. I, I think we need to hear some of these stories and we need to think about the message because it's, uh, it's, it's practical. It's not just entertainment anymore. It's really practical. I think we're both people have somewhat detached. Well, you're living in uh, some very nice uh, yeah. wooded area, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I, I do. Well, I have a, I have a 12 to nine. It's not a nine to five. That's why I can do these podcasts in the morning and, uh-huh. then go to yeah. and I intentionally do things slowly. I'm going to leave about an hour and a half too early. I'm going to walk about five kilometers to the train station, even though there's wow. a train station almost right outside my door, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I listen to podcasts too. So, yeah. but uh, going through yeah. rice fields, you know, um, I sure. walk, do the same thing at night. I know, I do now know where the stars are at certain points of year because I'm always walking through the same rice fields. Uh, the family house yeah. is in the mountains and I'm like, well, if civilization, you know, explodes. Hey, maybe we can go to the family house that's in the mountains. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Old Tommy rooms, all that. You know, it, it could very well be that an ancient Japanese culture can lead us back to that, too. Um, have you studied much about the uh, the Yoman culture in Japan? Do they teach much of it over there? Yeah, yeah. You can go in. You'll see, um, you'll see uh, museums based on that. I remember the first town I worked in had a real nice uh, Yoman museum and uh, this massive stone quarry, which that is was it, more modern use. But Yeah. Is, is it pronounced Yoman? I've been saying Yoman, but I didn't. But it's Joman in Japan, huh? More uh, kind of, actually, to be honest, it's probably in between. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the um, you know, there's the uh, stereotype, which is for better or for worse, true that Japanese mix up their R and L's. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. The reason for that is the actual Japanese sound is la, it's yeah. between those two sounds, so they just can't go to one or the oh, other. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this, but, but this was a this was a fascinating culture. Uh, DNA uh, takes. Uh, these people all the way back to Siberia, which means uh, there was a group of people in Siberia with that particular Yoman um, DNA, and some of them moved south and wound up in Japan. Some of them moved east and wound up in the Americas, which (laughs) means some of the American Indian tribes could very well be uh, cousins to to Japanese. But when I think about this culture, I'm just just absolutely amazed. 16,500 hundred years it that's a long long time they probably had boats we know they had pottery and the pottery wound up uh, all the way from japan to california and uh, to south america uh the pottery actually had some rice that was actually baked into the pottery suggesting cult- cultivation and you just begin to wonder there's not a lot of evidence of war or anything like that with them and you wonder how a culture can exist for thousands upon thousands of years 
um, and stay relatively the same, as far as we know, the same kind of language, the same kind of cultural habits. And I just wonder if these people uh, were somehow so much more intelligent than us, because I like to, we can't prove this, of course, with archaeology, but I like to, to wonder if they had a better concept of the word enough. Um, they had enough. That doesn't work, especially over here. I don't know what it's like in Japan right now, but over here in America, man, I mean, everybody's talking, well, we got to get going again. We got to have more, more. And why? Well, because we got to grow. Why? Well, because if you don't grow, you die. Do you really? Uh, haven't we got the, can't we just kind of settle down and say enough? <laughs> you know, there, there have been people in American history, the Amish, uh, for instance, who just said, wait a minute, we're going to stop right here. This is enough. And boy, that's a lesson we just have to learn today. If we don't, uh, I just wonder if we're really in trouble. That's why probably Insurrection is uh, probably my favorite Star Trek movie of all of them. For one thing, I love the, the uh, theme music. Um, the, 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 the music is just wonderful in, in, that, in that movie. But it was just this group of people who said, enough. And so they just happened to settle on a planet where they can live for practically forever. But <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> just to say, sort of answer your question, and oh, I have a few things. I'll, I'll bounce back and uh, see how it works. But um, yeah, I guess you know Japanese houses are smaller, so they have less stuff. Um, but they can get pretty cluttered. When you visit a Japanese house, the, the entrance is very nice. They'll take you into a dining area, which is very nice. You don't get a tour of the house because the rest of the house is a disaster. But uh, my, my, my wife and mother-in-law did their spring cleaning. My daughter is about to turn 12. So, you know, a lot of kids stuff just went. But some yeah. of it, uh, we got these monkey puppets. And both my daughter and I were like, how could you? And I had this cookie monster puppet. I was like, that was my cookie monster. And uh, <laughs> actually, that I did the ones I really wanted, I did manage to save from the dumpster. I took a couple. Oh, to, that's good. I took a couple of her old toys to the, the school. So, you know, current little kids can play with them. Kept the cookie monster for myself and uh, gave my daughter monkey puppets. So, which are actually <laughs> puppets, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what a, what a contrast to where I live. I live in a very little town in uh, uh, South Carolina on the West side of South Carolina, right on the, what used to be the Savannah river. Now it's a, now it's a lake, but um, it, it, this has never been a, a, a really a rich place to live. I mean, it's, it's poor working class, uh, during started cotton farming and everything else. And the houses are, are, you know, um, well, they were just, you know, going back 50, sometimes you see old wrecks of houses, 50, hundred years, but then all of a sudden people started coming in and now with the, with the dammed up lakes, we have uh, a new housing developments have started to go in where they build 50, 60 houses at a time. And all of a sudden, all over the landscape are springing up these storage units, these metal storage sheds. Turns out that our houses aren't big enough to store all of our stuff. We got to rent a shed to store more stuff. And uh, boy, that's a, that's a terrible thing. It really is. It drives me crazy sometimes. And George Carlin spelled uh, all that out for us with a, a oh yes, stuff. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> yeah. little bit there. Yeah, um, that's for sure. I want to bounce back to a couple more points that you you mentioned because I didn't want to interrupt too much. Uh, I do remember the Jomon about a year and a half ago during the Obon holiday, which is in yep. August. Mm -hmm. um, we went to we we live in Nagano. It's the Central Mountains, and we went mm -hmm. to a pretty pretty high mountain citadel and um, went to an obsidian museum where like 
you know, thousand plus years ago, they had been making these tools out of obsidian, which is, you know, hard wow. to work with. They also wow, used yeah. some, some of the Mexican cultures, of course. And, and yeah. they would let you, you know, they had a workshop where you could make the obsidian. So they made little pennants and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I think my leg, I had like that restless leg syndrome thing. So I, I actually didn't sit down and do that with them. I just started walking up mountains and seeing how far mm -hmm. I, I could go while they're doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. it was kind of interesting to see all those crafts. So that's some a technology that was pretty impressive, something a little ahead of what you would give a sure. people. Yeah. And uh, going north and south of Jomon too, I'm sure you're familiar with the Yonaguni. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those yeah. are being the, uh, underground yeah. uh, underground underwater structure that looks right right sort of right right absolutely uh one that i find people aren't as familiar with is if we go to the northern island of hokkaido we have the ainu yes that's yeah. right um i had a company trip um where we went to hokkaido to that area so it was kind of interesting to see that because i think japan's starting to accept it a little more but for years that one was kind of like oh just don't look over there mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, but uh, you know the whole the, the whole uh, obsidian thing gets me too because we we find uh, in archaeology that we find all kinds of uh, uh, obsidian that was worked by ancient Stone Age people. Uh, it was very you know it could, it could be made into very sharp arrowheads and spearheads and things like that, and uh, it, it was it was prized in a lot of ways. But uh, it just makes you wonder some of the other technologies that we would come up with uh, for people in those days. They were highly advanced uh, technologies. And I, you just wonder what kind of civilizations made these? What kind of civilizations used these? What have we lost? What have we forgotten? Um, and, and I think it's important to get picked. That's, that's why I write so many books about ancient cultures. Uh, I had a, a, a good friend of mine once whose father died uh, two months before he was born. And uh, uh, he never knew his father, of course. And he had to uh, kind of form his own mythology about who his father was. He would he would pick up, uh, um, you know, in things from what people said about dinner when people come to dinner and they would talk about his father and he'd hear stories and father's friends and father's uh, relatives and that kind of thing. So he had this idea in his head of, of who his father was. But a number of years ago, his mother uh, was going to move from the house where he was raised and he went to help her and he went up in the attic and up in a trunk up in the attic he found something he had never known was there. It was a group of old journals that his father had kept where he could actually read his father's writings and read what kind of a man this was. Totally transformed his idea of who his father was. And uh, as a result, he, he changed his whole idea about who he was. I wonder sometimes if we're kind of like that. We have, we've forgotten these ancient civilizations, these old people who just knew they had a lot of wisdom, and uh, and somehow we've forgotten that it hasn't uh, uh, it hasn't percolated through. And if we can discover that again, we might remember who we are, because I think if I've ever seen a lost generation, a lost civilization before. It's especially in the West, uh, over here in Europe and in America. Um, I'm not as familiar where it, you are, but I see people who are just kind of wandering around in a fog because they just don't know who they are. They've forgotten. That's why I think these stories are so important. 
No, I spent. That's the weird thing. I would say I spent most of my life walking around in a fog and so forth, um, <laughs> yeah. with just my ear open enough to well be having been pushed in this direction. So sure. Now, sure. now that I do think about these things more, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't have any major regrets here. I I knew to listen enough because yeah, the thing actually not far from you, I, I did. I remember when I was about 24. I think I'd already spent one year in Japan, getting offered mm -hmm. a job at a um junior high school not far from your area and i was like i felt like i was about to go to prison so i just mm. didn't take the job i was like i don't know that doesn't seem yeah. what i want to do yeah 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 I, I being a public school teacher myself for quite some time I, I know what that's like september came first time i faced a september when i didn't have to go back to school i felt like i was freed from something that a burden that i didn't even know i was carrying i know what you mean yeah you know, my current job um it's uh you know would i would i like to be able to follow my own pursuits during the workday sure but uh i'm pretty much i got latitude to you know i don't have like this heavy curriculum i have to do um, mm -hmm. we, you know we have general lessons but there's a lot of flexibility and uh you know there is more respect for teachers in japan i, I have kids that'll go completely nuts of course but in general uh you know <laughs> i think we garner a little more respect here than uh well than i know i my and my, me bleh. Myself and my classmates gave our teachers at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's something else that's going on here. It's it's funny. Uh, most schools here in the United States have been closed for this last year because of the COVID, and uh, the kids are starting to go back now. And a lot of them are saying they don't want to. It's amazing to me. Uh, yeah, the a, psychological impact. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. The kids, the kids have been free to kind of go at their own pace and and uh, you know learn in their own way. And the parents have been helping them. And uh, a lot of them are just really looking at it and saying, maybe this isn't the best way to do it. Yeah, I feel like if I could, you know, take my current consciousness and blast it into my school age self, I'd just be a complete rebel by going to the library and reading and then they'd kick yeah. me out of the library, just go back, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything. yeah, but I learned so much. <laughs> oh boy, I'll tell you. It's uh, there there are times when I look back and I say, I'd love I'd love to do it again, but only if I could do it knowing what I know now. Because uh, it's it's quite a bit different. When I uh, and and you just get you just get wrapped up in it. You don't realize you're wrapped up in it. Uh, all my life, um, when I started into the, I was I've been a Christian minister for uh, forty years. And uh, when I first went to seminary back in the early very early seventies, um, I had the idea that uh, I wanted to grow spiritually. I wanted to learn, and I had the idea that I was going to be if I went into the ministry and I became a pastor of a church, I'd be surrounding myself with a, a community who was just interested in, in learning more about spirituality and growing in that regard. And uh, most of us did when we went to seminary. We came out and we found that it wasn't that way at all. It was just like a, another job. Um, churches are just kind of like small small businesses. You have, to, you have to raise money. You have to have committee meetings. You have to have trustee meetings. You have to have building and grounds committees. And you have to have the next... Uh, plan for the next church service and plan for the next this and plan for the next that pretty soon 40 years go by and you realize where is my life gone uh, uh so man when it came time for me to retire there was no question i i i was going to go someplace I, my wife and i came back here and lived in the woods in south carolina this was going to be a one-year retreat 
We just wanted to experience the spirituality that we have been trying to talk about for 40 years. We wanted to experience it rather than talk about it. We wanted to, to get it. And we came out here just to spend a year and kind of go on retreat and meditate. And uh, um, I, I taught world religions, comparative religions. So I had a lot of background in that. And we came out just to try to put all this stuff into practice. One year it was going to be, and that was 12 years ago. We're still here. So no, that's it, not it, the same as my Japan trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one year. Right? Is that? Yeah. My yeah. weird personality quirks just seem to uh, fit in Japanese society. And okay, here, here's the thing, the, the thing. I mean, anywhere you live, there's going to be issues. Society's going to give you pressures. Um, mm -hmm. As a foreigner living in Japan, they kind of assume I don't know. They don't always hold you to those unwritten rules. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a nice person sure. to everyone, of course. But uh, yeah. again, yeah. I get a little more latitude, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's well, that's kind of nice. You don't know. <laughs> how, how did you find adjusting to that? Was it was it difficult? No, that's what I'm saying. I like, you know, obviously the, the language gap is a thing, but otherwise I took to it like water. Just take for it, uh, going in a store in America. You know, may I help you? May I help you? Mm -hmm. uh, a Japanese store, they may shout welcome at you and shock you when you walk in the door. But otherwise, yeah. you, you're going to have to ask for help. No one's going to bother you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's it's it would be totally different. Uh, and uh, and and over here, there's a there's a sameness that I found. I, I've done a couple of cross country bicycle trips from California, from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. And back when I was first starting, there was a uh, Every town was unique, the little towns and uh, places to eat and everything else. But now it's all changed. Uh, the, the motels are all changed. The restaurants are all changed. Uh, there's none of those little mom and pop things anymore. And there's a sameness where you just, you could, you could, you know, go into a mall someplace and not even know where you're, you know, where you are. Uh, it's just amazing to me. I think a lot of, especially Japanese suburban areas, they're, they're much denser of course um mm -hmm. you, you can walk around them really um <laughs> uh, yeah. if you're into walking but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like there is a sameness to that but here's a weird thing the the, the towns there are a lot of ma and pa stores and small mm -hmm. villages that have no change in them at all they're kind of a sameness too though because japanese society is somewhat monolithic so mm -hmm. i can go to one small village and they go to a small village 500 kilometers away and there is a sameness to them but it's it's not a corporate sameness it's a cultural mm -hmm. sameness ah ah that's yeah that's that's quite a bit different over here we're we're really losing that in a lot of ways uh there is no um you know the, we talk about southern cuisine and new england cuisine and western cuisine we don't have that really anymore it's there's you can find it if you want to go looking for it i suppose but uh it's it's really too bad because um uh, well i guess that's one of the other things that drove me to be writing books after having seen this stuff and then gone away from it i have kind of an outside perspective uh especially when it comes time to look at the ancient civilizations and and the ancient gods and the supernatural uh 
traditions that I, that I write about. And also it gives you a time to slow down and practice, which is what uh, quantum Akashic field is all about. Um, I had never been a believer, for instance, in out of body experiences or anything like that. And then now lo and behold, uh, I'm, I was having them on a fairly regular basis enough to want to write a book about it. Um, I was glad that you sent me your, uh, your own journals too. I got a really kick out of guy. A lot of that resonated uh, with me. I think we probably have a lot in common in a lot of those things. Actually, I got one for you this morning. Cause I, I tell you, I wake up at five, I go back to sleep, but I wake up at mm-hmm. five. And, and then I had a dream about this, this podcast. I was at, I was at my home or office and, uh, we, we all needed to go somewhere and I felt like I needed to stay, but uh, we, we went, uh, took a car trip and then everybody was, oh, I have to do this podcast. I need to get back. <laughs> and uh, and then I go, oh, no, we're already here. You need to be here. And, and finally, I kind of snuck off, but I realized that I didn't actually have enough time to uh, get back uh, yeah. in time. Now, now, that's there's no deep spiritual meaning in there. That's just me like, you know, any early morning call. I mean, eight thirty is yeah. not that early, but it's still like, oh, what if I accidentally sleep in? That's yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's I think it's a Rudolf Steiner who said, if you can tie in what is in your dream directly to your life, then it doesn't mean anything except that. Look for the things you can't tie in with other things. Yeah, in your exactly. Yeah, and, and I think with with practice, you learn to tell the difference. Really, uh, um, I found that there are certain little clues that come when I can tell when I was just having a regular dream or not. Uh, um, and then, or, or when I was having an actual out-of-body experience, and I'm certain that many uh, people are watching, they're listening to the podcast now, have probably had these kind of experiences in their dreams without realizing it, uh, and uh, yet I think there are there are clues we can look at because this this world is is just a much bigger reality than we can see with our five senses. And sometimes, which that's what an out-of-body experience is, you're able to step outside those. Five, uh, five senses, the perception fence that we build around ourselves. And when that happens, I think we begin to see reality. We like to say that reality is what's inside our perception fence. Um, no, I think the reality is out there. It's the one on the outside. Just, um, I'm just tying back in this episode a little bit, which is actually how I was going to start this conversation. But I, I did <laughs> like the um, beautific uh, vision of the sick bay from uh, yes. the father. I, you know, that was yes. very Book of Enoch, very, you know, uh, I was thinking more of an ND in that case. But uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like. There's, there's another, um, a two part episode, I think, called Time's Arrow, which is a next generation one where um, Mark Twain winds up in the future uh, and uh, um, the captain is stays back in the past and Mark Twain is shown around the ship and he, he uh, uh, comes to understand that this is a, a whole different world than he's seen and finally he goes back, of course. But um, it, it just, I, I wonder what that experience would be like for all of us if we could just kind of... <laughs> wind up in the future. I wonder if we would be quite as sophisticated as we think we are in terms of our way we'd handle it. I guess that's why I like that scene. I'm like, that's probably, I thought they did a very good job of showing his disorientation. You know, with Mark Mm -hmm. Twain, that's great. I love that episode, but it was kind of played for fun. It was played for laughs, right? Where here really was like, you you know this we we know the starship enterprise because we've been watching the show for you know three years when it aired but sure, just sure being able to show it that way was a pretty cool and showing his confusion at the situation was i thought was yeah. very cool filmmaking yeah too. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's a very it's a very human thing to find uh, if if we were to discover a culture that was much more advanced and they knew a lot, we would just naturally make the assumption that they know everything. Uh, it's a very human thing, and uh, to discover that that's not the case, um, it, that was I thought a very poignant part of that whole uh, that whole episode. I mean, uh, Picard shows some steel by not going with the uh, the Ghostbuster answers, mm -hmm. which is if someone asks you yeah. if you're a god, you say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I thought he explained it really well, and uh, tying in archaeology. You know, he said, "Have you had evidence of?" people before who didn't live in huts and she said yes in caves we can find evidence of their tools and things like that so he began to show how the archaeology of the planet uh how, could could show their evolution and yet at the same time here is this man talking from what would normally be considered a, a, a such a superior futuristic type thing um it it kind of brings our well, our, our whole understanding of who we are into focus, uh, because we look at archaeology and we think uh, that archaeology will show us where we have been and, and who we are. But there's more to archaeology than just stones and uh, than artifacts like that. I like to talk about the evidence of lost civilizations exists not only in stone and the great megaliths around the world and uh, the the sites in Japan, like you mentioned, which are now underwater, but where obviously some people once walked 10, 12,000 years ago, archaeology in stone. But there's also uh, evidence, I think, of lost civilizations in story. And there, I think, is the richest field to mine. Uh, the mythology, the early religious ideas, uh, and going back and discovering um, the stories of people that almost tell us too much if if myth if myths are just teaching tools to to teach us a moral lesson why do we need all of that evidence why do we need all of that extraneous stuff uh unless the people were in contact with it so uh i i think that yeah there the ain't when we talk about the ancient gods there's probably three possibilities of who they are. First of all, sure, they could be supernatural beings. Uh, this is the biblical idea or what you find in the Quran or, or uh, in the Old and New Testaments or Jewish scriptures. Yeah, they could be supernatural beings com uh, coming out of another dimension called heaven. Um, a lot of Christians in my country, for instance, don't like to talk about supernatural beings, but then at Christmas time, they all sing about angels we have heard on high or something like that. You know, that's a story about supernatural dimensions, stop being stepping out of another dimension. So yeah, that could be one possibility. The other uh, could be archetypal or mythology that they're just a, a, a story that we make up to try to justify or to, to tell lessons about who we are. Or there could be survivors of a lost civilization who appeared, like in the Star Trek episode, to be gods because of superior technology. So we like to ask, well, what was that technology? We don't see wires. We don't see generators. Well, who knows 
that the generosity that the technology has to be like ours. Uh, there could be possibilities of mental or spiritual uh, uh, ideas. I like to call a, a mental toolkit or a psychological, a psychic toolkit that perhaps could have been used. I had this pointed out to me once when I was in uh, I was in Egypt and a group of us were going uh, into one of the pyramids. And of course, in Egypt, you you can't just go into a pyramid alone. You have to have an Egyptian guide who's certified and you know toes the line, the regular uh, line of Egyptology that is currently in vogue. And so we were going in. There was a small group of us walking in behind this guide, and we were walking down this pyramid. And as we go down the the corridor seems to be getting darker and darker. We're getting farther and farther underneath the pyramid. And we're walking along this wooden path that they had built because they didn't want us scuffing around in the, in the, uh, the, you know, any, any evidence that there, there might be there on the floor. And uh, along the path where we're walking, there are all these electric wires. And the purpose of the wires was to turn the lights on ahead of us so that we wouldn't be in the dark. And uh, once when we got in there, the guy said, I'm going to turn the lights off just to give you an idea of how dark it is. And he did. And you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it was. So I began to wonder, well, how did they see here to work uh, before they had light bulbs, before they had electricity, before they had our modern technology? So I asked the guide, I said, how, I'm, I'm looking around at the, the roof and I'm looking out, the, there's, there's no sign of soot, there's no sign of torches, none of that stuff. And I said to him, uh, how, how is it that, uh, you know, they could see to work down here? The, the guide actually turned away from me and just kind of mumbled, oh, they must have had some kind of a light source. And they that's all not, he said. That's they, all he said. <laughs> they basically show it in uh, some inscriptions, not in the pyramid, of course, but uh, what is it, Luxor yeah. or something? They have something that looks like a light source in some of the uh, the stone carvings. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it, it's just, it, but it's just amazing. But they they don't want to admit that. They don't want to admit that there could be that kind of a technology. How could they have had a light source that we don't know anything about? Uh, we're the epitome of evolution, right? We're the highest civilization that ever lived, right? Well, I'm just not so sure. That's the uh, pitfalls of academia. Because if, if I've been oh, teaching yes. for 40 years, I've written my seven books on an idea and suddenly the evidence is there. I'm going to retire, you know, I'm mm -hmm. two weeks to retire. And suddenly, <laughs> oh, no, no, all that's wrong. It's not <laughs> really don't want to change your mind on it at that point, you know? <laughs> that yeah, it's good, but you don't want to. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, you know, I, I taught comparative religion for for years and i would stand up and i would talk for instance about um, oh the religious traditions of india and i would tell my students this and that it was in the textbook and i would deliver the lecture and then the school said i had to give them tests you know so i would give them grades on how well they could parrot my stuff back to me and everything else you do that for five six seven eight years and then all of a sudden something new happens and you realize that everything you've been teaching has been wrong and your students, you've been forced to give grades to. What are you going to do? Call them all up and say, uh, you remember that C I gave you? I probably should have given you an A because you were right. And then it's hard as a teacher to do that and to admit I was wrong. And a lot of teachers don't want to do that. And thus we have the academic uh, dilemma that we have today. I don't know if this is the worthwhile metaphor or not, but yesterday I, I walked into the, the school I teach in. It's, it's, um, I guess it's someone not that it's like a house size, but um, the rooms were all different. 
<laughs> it's not a dream. They had simply yeah. come in like you when you look to the left, there's a big classroom. Now there's a small classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now it's a big room and you go back to that and there's a new classroom. And they it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> the most fun thing is the one that was now a big classroom. Um that was a small classroom four years ago actually was a big classroom so i guess you know they decided to yeah, fix yeah. their mistake or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> well our whole our whole system uh, especially over here in the west at least you know it's set up uh, with the idea uh, with the, you know with, with the basic underlying idea is that there is stuff that we now know and this is now the truth and we've we're, this is the way it's going to be and we assume it's going to be that way um i think there is a young group, a younger group of academics coming along uh, in the science community, especially, and uh, in, especially now that quantum physics is taking over so much, I think there's a younger group that is beginning to realize, wait a minute, uh, we just can't do it this way. I know it's true in archaeology. Uh, in archaeology, there was, for instance, here in America, uh, for a hundred years, you had to teach Clovis first. The Clovis people were the first people to come to America 13, 16,000 years ago. That was it. And if you didn't teach that, you didn't get a job, you didn't get tenure, you didn't get your, your uh, money for projects or anything. Well, now that seems to be changing a little bit. And quite frankly, I chalk a lot of it up to television. Uh, there's good and bad stuff on television, but now I think some of these younger academics have found a way to take their stuff and walk uh, and do an end run around the committees that uh, had to check everything they did and approve of everything they did before they could publish. Now you can go over to a television and <laughs> right or wrong, um, you can reach a big audience, which is all of a sudden going to start uh, showing up at the schools and saying, wait a minute, I saw something on ancient aliens or the history channel last night. <laughs> Talk about it, you know, uh, in, in a way that's bad because we've lost that whole peer review process, which has some good things to it, but I think it's in a way it's wonderful. So maybe things are changing. I hope so. You know, it's funny. I, I've actually I've never watched Ancient Aliens, um, but really, I, I've been doing this podcast now with with guests only for about three months, and somehow uh -huh. I've already had three guests that like did Ancient Aliens. <laughs> so I thought, Have you done Ancient Aliens? <laughs> like you know, a little bit of yeah. synchronicity there. <laughs> Uh, I, I get, uh, I get a kick out of it. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, Andrew Collins at all. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, well, uh, um, Andrew wrote to me, uh, a little more than a year ago, I guess, um, he was scheduled to lead a group into, uh, to Turkey and do, uh, a, a tour there to go see Gobekli Tepe and a lot of the ancient, ancient sites of Turkey. And, and uh, he's kind of a persona non grata in Turkey <laughs> right now. So they wouldn't let him back in the country. So we had the group all set. So he called me and asked me if I'd lead it. Uh, as it turns out, we couldn't go because of the COVID thing. And then we rescheduled it for September and it's still not up. So now it's on for May. But at any rate, through that time, uh, Andrew and I got writing, you know, writing back and forth. We very rarely on the same continent. So we don't see each other very much at all. But uh, we do write and Zoom and Skype and all that kind of thing. Thing. And so uh, every time he's on Ancient Aliens, I get a kick out of it because I know what's going to happen on his Facebook post. He's going to get a whole lot of people saying, why do you waste your time on that show? <laughs> and then other people are going to call and they're going to say, oh, it's, you know, it's fantastic. I learned so much about this and that. Like everything else, we're just so divided about all this stuff. And like everything else, I think there's good and probably there's bad in it. 
Well, books always, I think a book is the best way to get out that kind of information. But hey, if you put it on TV, so many more people are at least going to be exposed Ma'am. to it. Yeah, yeah. If we expose I'm, people I'm, to so much, you know, real, real crime stuff. I mean, true crime, yeah. whatever. That That's not good for your soul. So. I'm, I'm, I'm finding that out now. You know, I can write a book and, and sell, you know, 20, 30,000 copies even maybe. Uh, or I can go and speak in front of an audience of a couple of hundred people or something like that. And uh, then I can go on a, I can go on a podcast or on a radio show, and all of a sudden there's fifty thousand people, <laughs> you know, listening. And I'm saying, whoa, more people than I've ever could imagine before. You know, here, here that I've retired, I'm, I've got a larger audience than I ever had in my life, and uh, it, it's just, it's just amazing to me this technology. I'm not sure where it's going to lead, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you could get by without seeing ancient aliens even once. That's fantastic. You, you, you're probably the only one that i know <laughs> well I, I i mean one i live in japan so i would, don't see american tv and i just uh, oh only, yeah of course i never never but, thought I no, just, the, yeah yeah the only tv i see is uh when i'm downstairs and, and the news is on and that's in japanese yeah. so i'm only half getting what what they're saying anyway and and <laughs> japanese news is definitely less weird than american news I think. Oh, especially nowadays oh yeah. man nowadays uh, the way to get news broadcast out nowadays is is it's all political and our political situation over here is so divided between right and left that depending on what television show you're going to be watching what new what television network you're going to be watching uh you just get all one set of news or another set of news and uh the old days when we used to sit down and listen to walter cronkite give us the news at night those those days are gone but yeah i guess but to say it if i want to learn about an ancient civilization, a lost civilization, maybe even a few ancient alien ideas. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really would, at least for me, I would prefer that in book form where everything is laid out. Yeah. You're listing yeah. the evidence because some, you know, someone on TV just always oh, going aliens as I guess. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's not really enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the problem too is that once you get a TV show, uh, you got to have some something to fill it. And uh, you may have some great ideas, and you may, but all of a sudden they're used up. Well, you've still got the time you've got to fill. So what do you do now? So you keep getting more and more spectacular and more and more out there and more and more, you know, uh, away from it. It, it's, it. it is tough. It really is tough. Just a full circle of your program, who watches the watchers and let people watch the watchers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Better than a lot of TV, you'll see. <laughs> the last time I was in America and occasionally put on TV, it was like, I think I only watched the travel channel. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife and I don't have regular television anymore. We just watch uh, things like, you know, we have YouTube channels and, and uh, I just love watching the specials that are out there you can just find anything out there now uh if i want to find out about a subject um you know i'll i my first tendency still is to go to a book because i'm kind of old-fashioned and i like that but on the other hand i understand after having written so many books i mean i can write about something now and then the editor won't finish it for eight or nine months and then it's got to go into printing and it might be two years before the book itself actually comes out. And uh, it could be outdated by the time it hits, hits, it's the print. So I got a sneaking suspicion that uh, the kind of learning we're going to be doing is going to be more and more live through uh, TV and podcasts and shows and that kind of thing, because it's so much more current. 
Yeah, I guess all my my screen time. Well, I, this is screen time. We're on we're on Zoom, but uh, is basically watching things I need to do for podcasts now. Yeah, <laughs> which is that's fine though, because that means I'm always actively like I'm not watching in a trance. Uh, I'm always that's yeah. if people are wondering, uh, well, more like people who podcast with me. But the w- reason I make notes is that way I know I'm like actively watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially on the other one. Sometimes we don't even look at the notes, but just the fact that yeah. I made them, I'm actively watching. I'm thinking right. about it as it's going right. on. So right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm also a little bit worried because I see something in myself that I know is also going on out there. I've discovered that, um, especially since I've been watching in this last year, for instance, a lot more television or, you know, a lot more shows or doing more work at the computer. My attention span uh, is, is actually getting smaller. I can see it happening. Um, I start reading a book and all of a sudden I'll go through a page or two and I won't even know what I read because I'll be thinking about something else. And if that's happening with me, uh, it's got to be happening with other people. And that, that scares me a little bit, tell you the honest truth. I, I, I wonder if we're seeing an evolution of the human race, especially here in the West, probably not quite so much in the East, uh, but I wonder if we're seeing an evolution of, uh, you know, you go into homes and you just don't find books anymore. You find kids who don't read anymore. Uh, everything comes to them from the screen. Um, I noticed in a lot of my books, uh, they almost all have to come out now with an audio book because that's what people want rather than having a, a, a book that, that they can hold in their hands. And yet I know for a fact that in, in, uh, in audio books, it's just not the same experience. Um, so I'm not sure where it's going. I really don't. Uh, and, 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 and again, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I hope, I hope we're not on our way to becoming a lost civilization. Yeah. I mean, that's where, cause I, I work full time. I'm, you know, uh, not retired or anything like that, but I've worked basically worked out where every step of my day is either work or something useful. So like I said, I'm walk- I, I take an extra walk. I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I realize I haven't been listening to the podcast for 30 minutes, which is probably the best time. But, <laughs> you know, on the, I, I have a 50-minute train ride. So, oh, that's when I read books. Yeah, sure. Right back yeah. Read lunch, I don't yeah. eat lunch. I, I go to a temple and kind of do like a Zen meditation. Uh, all great. The, yeah. All the, you know, out of body. For me, it's more like lucid dreaming, but uh, all that mm-hmm. stuff's well, the early morning stuff, right? So, <laughs> yeah, well, this is a lot, a lot, a very lot, you know, similar stuff there. It really is. Um, it, but it's just that, you know, as uh, Robert Monroe kept saying, the founder of the Monroe Institute, uh, who gave us the term out of body experience, we are more than our bodies. And we live in a culture that just keeps on talking about the body all the time. Uh, and somewhere along the line, we've got to make some drastic changes in the way we're progressing. It may not happen in my lifetime, but I think it's going to have to. Here's a, here's a, um, I'll be wrapping up soon. Cause we've been actually going oh. over our time, but, but, but one thing I do want to mention since you were asking about, uh, the Japanese culture is uh, I remember when I first started working here, one of my coworkers, uh, he, now she's married to him, but you know, he's samurai spirit and you'll see sports mm-hmm. team samurai spirit. It's, it's not our bodies. It's as, as a team in yeah. our samurai spirit. And, um, you know, Sunday nights, I, I have a 
like a lemon sour drink and, and my wife doesn't drink much but she steals some so she's like <laughs> the sharing spirit follow the sharing spirit because i always give a dirty look when she's like, stealing my drink but <laughs> but yeah the idea uh, that it's yeah there are spirits that you know move you to do certain things i guess is something we don't think about so much in mm-hmm. western society where it's you yes. know almost a joke here because it's it's just supposed to be obvious yeah 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 yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd love to spend time in Japan. I really would. I'd love. To, I, I could, I could learn a lot. I think. Uh, I'm. I practiced Zen Buddhism quite a bit, and uh, just had a whole, whole love of the culture. But it's a culture be, of, that I know about. It's not a culture that I know. And there's a big difference. Well, I should say what what my my practices are cobbled together. Some from wild books where the book sounded completely insane, but I got to the end. There were a couple meditation practices. So, hey, this actually works really well. <laughs> and and yeah. some of them are still in, included. So it's like uh, I know the the thing you're supposed to do is zazen, which is I can mm-hmm. I can actually do the lotus thing with your feet and you know not fall over. Yeah. yeah. Zaza, yeah. though, you, you have to like sit on your knees and, and your heels, basically. And I can only manage that for about 15 minutes. <laughs> I couldn't I, I couldn't do that anymore. At 75 years old, I'm not able to do a lot of that stuff that I used to be able to do. Yeah, that's why I made sure I teach it to myself while I was still reasonably flexible. But that's yeah, that's a the, good idea. Good idea. Sasen, that's yeah, that's the form of sitting in it. It is wildly yeah. uncomfortable, but especially especially the women in Japan can do it forever. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, well, it keeps you from falling asleep. That's that's for sure. Yes. My my tendency to of, of meditation is uh, I have to be careful when I meditate because I'm either so wired that I just can't bring myself down to a one point focus meditation that I need, or I get so out of it I just fall asleep. And uh, either one of those is is bad. I've got to find the middle ground so I, often. I, I think I have found a middle ground recently because I, I I have things that are based on breath counts. Basically, I am counting sure. numbers, but um. And it's my lunch break, right? And there's a few mm-hmm. times where I've forgotten where I am, what time it is. I'm like, oh my, oh my God, have I missed a class? I've just been here for two hours. It's yeah. always times out perfectly. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. So, uh, especially With- yesterday. I, I actually, I thought I was at home in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'm at a temple. <laughs> with 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 me, it's always some weird time. Uh, usually, I hate to say it's about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I found that I was always waking up at three o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was sufficiently rested where uh, you know I didn't go fall back asleep again. But if I could get up and go to my meditation place and meditate, uh, I wasn't wired yet to be thinking what am I going to do today and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so I've had to find that consistent time. And although I don't practice as much as I should right now, and that's, that's a problem I'm dealing with, uh, I'm very much aware of the fact that uh, still three o'clock in the morning comes. I feel like that's when I should be meditating. Yeah, mine's a little later, but um, I, I have the lazy version. I, I Actually, I didn't even realize this was a real thing for much until much later. So again, a Akashic field information maybe, but um, I just lie <laughs> on my right side, you know, like this. And it turned out I was doing exactly the uh, Southeast Asian sleeping Buddha position thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I started I'm... doing it. It worked a few times. And after that, I actually learned about Tibetan dream yoga and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's, I was doing that without having even studied it. Crazy. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't considered that. I'm, I may be tempted to try that now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a Tibetan dream yoga. And there's a position. Literally, you're supposed to lie on your right side. Your hand's here. Your left uh -huh. hand is just uh, along your left leg. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you close your eyes and, you know, let the... For me, it's, you know, kind of a dull, colorful field and ghost shadow images start to appear. And then one, mm -hmm. finally, one of those images kind of... <laughs> And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, I haven't had so much the the I guess astral body thing, though I did once appear uh, on a, in a rice field about a, a kilometer from here, so that was cool. Mm -hmm. I think that was a proper OB, but usually I'm more on the uh, the lucid dreaming end of the scale, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 quite a it, you know, it, it's quite a thing. I, I very rarely when I talk to people who have had out of body experiences or people have had near-death experiences, very rarely do I find people who want to come back. <laughs> they're, they're much more comfortable there, but they know they have to come back, so they yeah. do. But uh, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, you know, it, it, it's a discipline, obviously, that we have to get ourselves into. And, uh, and yet, well, you know, the old Zen thing, how do, you, how do you work hard at it? You work hard at it by not working, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, you know, you, you uh, have a wonderful time and you become enlightened. You still got to do the dishes and take out the garbage, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> exactly. on, on, on you go. But I, I have found um, when, I have a, when I have the more profound experiences, and sometimes I might get two in a week, but I feel like, oh, I have just used some kind of, energy that and it's going to be a while before i can like build up enough to yeah. do that again i guess that's why maybe you know monks have such ascetic practices because they're yeah. keeping that yeah. energy whereas I, I i'd like to live my life so um you know if i could do both that's a little bit of both that's that's good well, um, well there is there is a good you know there's a good buddha saying this and you know if you can't reach reach enlightenment where you are you can't reach enlightenment you know right. uh every religious tradition has has uh, traditions of people going Going up mountaintops, or going out in the desert, or going deep into the woods, and and it's great to do that, um, but you still got to come back. Uh, you just can't, you know, stay out there all the time because it, it it's not an authentic experience. I don't think. One one interesting thing, I think it's um, I might be saying the name wrong, but Jedu Krishnamurti, who I, I read a few of his books, and um, mm -hmm. he's, he sounds too stern. He he doesn't sound like a fun guy, but he's almost always right. <laughs> and um, I, I remember I was I was complaining about that to my friend, and he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, his voice is so haughty." I'm like, oh, "I've never actually heard him speak." <laughs> but um, one one thing he said that I did I still find interesting is um, if you're living your life well, you don't dream. Really? I'm not quite I'm, sure. I, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that. I must not be living my life well because, man, my dreams are just unbelievable in the last couple of years. Well, I've been looking, all the time. I've been trying to read between the lines. Does he mean you don't like dream the other sense of the word? Like you don't have these wild hopes? Or does he mean that you are so active it's not a dream anymore? <laughs> Because hmm. at first know. it's just like, yeah, that just sounds sharp and horrible. But I started thinking about it more. I was like, there's actually two other things that are more subtle, but he could have meant here. So they're, they're yeah, you, own, I guess. You, you got me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now I'll, I'll give you um, three o'clock morning uh, ex existential drama. Okay. About that one then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds like a good idea. But, uh, uh, Jim, I actually do need to wrap it up because I am going to make that, that walk through the rice field, head to work. Well, good. Good. I'm going to walk the 
walk that I was talking. So sure. Great. Uh, to anybody who's listening, I'd, I'd, uh, you know, we talk back and forth and we can see each other on the screen, but it's nice to know who's out there. So I always like to give an invitation. If anybody wants to go to my website at uh, www.jimwillis.net, there is a contact page. Please uh, call me, tell me where you're from or, or write to me and tell me where you're from. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to have your feedback because this, it can be a dialogue then rather than just between the two of us, but between this family that's really around the world. And I always like to ask uh, writers if you can get the books directly from your site, because I, I got yours from yes. Amazon a few years ago, but uh, it's, uh, it's nicer to get from the authors if you can. Yeah, well, you you can get it uh, directly on our on, on on my site. Once again, it's jimwillis.net, and uh, there's a book page, and it shows all the books and uh, that I've written, and it shows all a lot of the uh, reviews. And you can just click on it; it'll take you right to Amazon or right to the the place, and and uh, get them right right from the site itself. It's really easy. And uh, having read a few, I would definitely um, tell people to go go check a few out. Uh, and yeah, thank Angel you, Matt. Gods Appreciate it pertinent to today's episode as you originally mentioned so that's a good one to go to and i just finished the quantum akashic field and yeah definitely was uh was oh, thank you. That yeah, my, week, my so. new one my new one just came out my latest just came out uh, a month ago april 1st it came out uh and it's uh it's about the the books that didn't make the final cut when the bible was put together uh censoring god it's called and i think uh, i think people will probably like it as for this podcast, we're Oro Hygiene Pod at Twitter or Facebook. Um, uh, we do a few podcasts. We do sci-fi. I think it's all under the um, umbrella of Podcastium Podcastius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my British uh, podding uh, co-worker and podding mate uh, came up with that one. But uh, yeah, basically the, the what you get now is uh, you help us out and I post these episodes as soon as I can there. Um, and Jim, this one, I actually probably won't take too long. I think I'll be posting this one in about a week and a half. So really good. Have Real to good. Wait that long. And uh, yeah, yeah. Of course the door is open for uh, another one. I just, you know, I base it on some kind of film, but as you saw today, it goes wherever it wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. It's been great talking to you. Okay. I'll catch you later then. <laughs> okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye now. Did you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done.